Bel Air Church, good morning. Good to be with you this morning. As we continue in worship, we're going to be going to God's Word this morning. And, you know, we find ourselves in the middle of the summer. Oh, my goodness. It felt like summer for a hot second, didn't it? Yesterday? One day. One day. Anyway, it felt good. I uh, didn't quite get shorts on. It wasn't shorts yet, but we're getting there. But we're in a summer series. We're, we're talking about an idea. Actually, it's way more than an idea. It's a truth. That God sees us. And it's not just I see you as in like, you know, I see somebody like I see you right now. Oh, good to see you. So nice to see you. No, God sees you. God knows you. God enters into your life. You've been in circumstances perhaps where Maybe it's at a party where uh, some people are kind of talking and you are seen, but they're kind of doing one of these things, you know? And you're like, I'm right here. I'm right. Maybe it doesn't have to be a party. It could be a church. You're like, pastor, I'm right here. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I was just, uh... no, it happens all over the place, doesn't it? It happens like, what does it mean to then actually make contact, eye contact in a genuine way to really be seen? You know what I'm talking about? So when I say that God sees us, it's more than just, oh, he recognizes you or he sees you. No, but you are seen, you are known by God. And we're going to be going to Scripture this morning, the Gospel according to Mark, to learn of a man named Jairus and how Jairus is seen and how that changes everything, not just for Jairus, but for you and me. So let's go there this morning. Let's go to Mark chapter 5. It's a longer passage, so buckle up. There's actually two stories in this passage, but they're both very important. And at the end, I'm going to say this is the reading of God's Word, and if you would, you want to participate by responding by simply saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him and there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, but if I just, if I touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that the power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? And he looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith, has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? 
But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. And at this they were overcome with amazement And he strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Brothers and sisters, this is the reading of God's word. Thank you, God. You know, as I read this story, I can't help but enter into this story from the perspective of Jairus. Jairus is a father. Yes, it's Father's Day. I too am a father. And as a father of a six-year-old, there have been many times where I have experienced anxiety and fear. That's only in six years. That's only in six years. Some of you guys are like, and that's only one kid, Pastor. You got nothing. Like, listen, when you have kids, there's plenty of room for fear, and there's plenty of room for anxiety. In fact, my son, I don't even really can't even compute the time anymore. Time feels like a vague kind of mist now. I know post-pandemic we've talked about it, but I still can't figure out when this was. I think it was in 2021. And it's like 2.30 in the morning, and my son is crying and I wake up to his tears and he's crying out because he can't breathe and he's laboring in his breath so much that his chest is just like just heaving and heaving and his neck up here is just like you know throbbing like nothing it's like he's trying to breathe through a straw and I'm panicked I'm, I'm totally nervous I mean we've been treating his cold but this has never happened before and we don't know what to do and so what do we do we rush him to the ER. We pick, put him in the car. We rush him to the ER. And the, you know, um, the medic team, the, the nurses, the doctors were fantastic. They brought him in right away. They strapped him up to oxygen at full tilt. And it wasn't helping. They put you know, a steroid in and it wasn't helping. They gave him as much albuterol that you could possibly give to any child. And it wasn't helping. He was still laboring at the same levels. His oxygenation was dropping, and as his oxygen levels dropped, my anxiety started to skyrocket. I felt so out of control because I was out of control. And thankfully, you know, he was able to be transferred to the children's hospital, and they were able to give even more tools that God was able to use at their disposal to bring about healing and, and wholeness over his life. I'm grateful that Benedict is with us today. But I was out of control. I was afraid. And I think about a lot of the parents that are in the sanctuary this morning and and outside the sanctuary. Do you know how many conversations I've had with parents where albuterol is kind of like the norm in the conversation? Like so many of our kids are on this kind of medication or some sort of thing here and behind every single medication is an anxiety story, a story of fear. Oh, it's commonplace now. Oh, my son, yeah, he just has 
cold-induced asthma. But that first initial thing was so terrifying. And maybe you don't have kids, but I'm sure that there's a story in your life where there is fear. Maybe about a relationship, maybe about a job, maybe about a marriage. There's some sort of anxiety in your life about your future. And it feels so out of control because we are out of control. And so when I say that God sees us, that in the midst of our fears, that within our worries and while we are out of control, God not only sees us, but he speaks to our fear. That his word gives us hope and it has the opportunity to revive us to new life. So I want us to hold on to this idea as we go back to the text. Mark chapter 5, join me again in Mark 5 verse 22. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came and when he saw him fell at his feet, verse 23, and begged him repeatedly, my daughter, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she might be made well and live. Here we are introduced to a religious leader. His name is Jairus. But Jairus is more than a religious leader. He's a father. He has a wife and they have a daughter. We don't know the daughter's name, only that she is 12 years of age. She is a teenager. Does anyone remember being 12? Um, well, some of you are 12. God bless you. God bless our teenagers. Am I right? Was that not a hard year of life? 12, I felt, some of you guys are so rad, and I don't even mean to point out 12-year-olds, sorry. That's like the worst thing you can do. Um, but I grew like six inches in a summer. And that's not even exaggerating. I don't know how I did. Like, I had Osgood slaughters. I was so clumsy. I couldn't control my body. I wasn't quite a child, but I wasn't also an adult. I was in this tween age year. I was a 12-year-old. That's this little girl. That's Jairus' daughter. And Luke tells us that she is his only child. See, before Jairus is a religious leader, he is a father first. And he comes to Jesus as a desperate father who is completely beside himself due to his daughter's illness. Jairus is falling face first at the feet of Jesus, desperate for a miracle, pleading, begging repeatedly, Jesus, would you just touch her? Jesus, would you just lay your hands on her? Jesus, my daughter is dying. Would you please come and save her? Jesus, I need you to help her. I need you to save her. I need you to touch her. I need you to heal her. That's not even close to the intensity. As a father with a daughter who's dying at home, you are desperate. You are face down, begging, repeating, Jesus, save her. This father and his daughter, one at the point of death, the other overwhelmed to the point that he could die. This is Jairus. A real picture of a real father in real desperation reaching out to God for real help. Verse 23, he begged him repeatedly. My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Verse 24, so he went with him. 
I love that. Jesus is moved by a father's love. He sees Jairus and he walks with him. He didn't send Jairus home. He didn't say, Jairus, why don't you go on ahead of me? I'll catch up with you later. I got some other important business I need to attend to here. Why don't you just go ahead and get a head start? No, he goes with him. Jesus walks with him. I'm going to walk with you in this. I'm going to be with you in this. I see you. I walk with you. You do not walk alone. So he went with him. I love that sentence. Why do I love it so much? Because I believe it to be true for me. And I believe it to be true for you. That in the midst of your fear, in the midst of your anxiety, in the midst of your worry, all of it, you do not walk alone. That God walks with you. Jesus might not have calmed our fears or revived our dying hope yet, but he sees us. Jesus walks with us. And in the walking, there is healing. Verse 25, now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. So the Gospel of Mark introduces a story within the story. This is a completely different story. It's much like an Oreo cookie, right? Jairus is the cookie. His daughter, you know, the co- you guys have eaten these things, yes? Like, and the, this story that we're about to read is that creamy filling, that magic's what, who created that? That was just brilliance. Like a magician made the, the middle filling. Because you know what we do. We take the cookie and we twist the top off. And we scrape that middle part out. Don't we? Do you guys use your bottom teeth or your top teeth? You guys this way or bottom? I go bottom. I do, but you know what? The problem with doing an Oreo cookie that way, although tasty and delicious... It's not how the cookie was intended to be eaten, right? Jairus' story, without this woman's story that we're about to be introduced to, without her story is not how the story was intended to be heard, to be taken in. So we got to hear this woman's story, and we get to hear this woman's story. I can't dive into it completely because it's a sermon for another day, but I want us to see something. Did you notice that this woman was suffering for how many years? Twelve The same number of years that Jairus' daughter has been alive, this woman has been suffering for a lifetime. Suffering for a lifetime. Think about that. And she had tried everything. It says that she had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. Spent all that she had. She was completely spent. Anyone ever feel completely spent? Yes. Completely spent. There is nothing scarier than when we begin to lose hope. But lucky for her, hope was in town. Hope was in the neighborhood. And so what does she do? She runs to him. She runs to hope. She reaches out for hope. She touches hope. And hope restores her life. Then what happens? Jesus, the one who is hope, stops to see the one who touched him. Jesus stops to see this woman was seen by Jesus. There is healing in the seeing. But from Jairus' perspective, there is anxiety in the waiting. Fathers and mothers, can you relate to that? There is anxiety 
in the waiting, Jesus stops. At this point, I'm looking at the story, and I'm like, what do you mean Jesus stops? If I was a father and I just told you that my daughter is on the point of death and you're going to stop? Jesus, we got to go. We're kind of in a hurry. Did I not just tell you that she's about to die? What are you doing stopping? This woman has been, you know, suffering for 12 years. What's 12 more days? Jesus, we've got to go. But then I remember that this woman, she too is a daughter. She too has a father who is equally concerned for well, her well-being See, the Bible tells us that Jesus in his very nature is God. The exact representation of God's very being, like God in every way. So Jesus says, if you've seen me, you have seen who? The Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so having the heart of compassion of her heavenly Father, Jesus stops to see her. There is healing in the seeing. Mark 5.34 says this, and he said to her, daughter, oh, come on. Isn't that beautiful? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. In verse 35, it says, while he was still speaking, he was in the middle of his sentence, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Isn't it just like life? Isn't it just like life when you have one person's success story met with another person's disappointment? Right up next, butted up next to each other. One person goes in peace, the other person goes destroyed, wrecked. Jairus' messengers show up only to report that hope had died. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But verse 36 says, But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the teacher or the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Some translations say, But ignoring what they said, Jesus heard what they said, but what they said caused fear. And fear is the enemy of faith. Fear is the enemy of faith. Jesus heard what they said. Jesus heard it, but he didn't hold it. He didn't hold it, and he wasn't about to allow that fear to hold Jairus either. Jesus, seeing Jairus in the grip of fear, tells him, no, he actually commands him, do not fear. You must faith that fear, Jairus. No, I don't have a lisp. You must faith that fear. What does it mean to faith one's fear? Let me start by what it doesn't mean. Faithing your fear doesn't mean that if you have enough faith, you'll never be in need. Faithing your fear does not mean that if you have enough faith, you're never going to get sick, you never have to take precautions, that no one's ever going to threaten you, that you're never going to need security or safety. No, faithing your fear does not mean that. Faithing your fear does not mean that if you have enough faith, you're going to be healed. Jairus' daughter wasn't healed because of Jairus' great faith. Jairus' daughter was healed because of Jairus' great companion. What faithing your fear means is that when you, are faith, when you are faced with fear, when you are faced with anxiety, when you're faced with threats, even death itself, you do not face it alone. Jesus faces it with you. Jesus faces it 
for you. Jesus says to Jairus, you got to faith your fear. Jairus, I see you, but do you see me? I see your fear. Jesus doesn't diminish his fear. He says, I see your fear. It's real. And so is your hope. Don't let fear kill your faith. Hope in who you're with. you got to faith that fear. Jesus says to Jairus, don't lose faith in who I am. Faith your fear. you got to faith your fear, Jairus. Mark 5.38 says, When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw commotion and people were weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They laughed at Jesus. The people who had no hope for this child, when faced with the possibility of hope, they turned their mourning into mocking. Clearly, they did not know who was in the house. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't know the one who had silenced the storm. They didn't know the one who had delivered the demonized. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't know the one who had fed the 5,000, who had healed the hemorrhaging. They laugh because they don't know who is in the house. They don't know that death is not the diagnosis when Jesus is in the house. Mark 5.40 says, they laughed at him and then he put them all. Let me hear you say all. I'm going to need some help. Let me hear you say all, church. Better. They put them all outside. Who or what is in your house? Who's in your house? Is it fear? Is it ridicule? If fear is the enemy of faith, then haters are the enemy of hope. There is no room for ridicule when Jesus is in the house. We need Jesus to faith our fear and to get rid of all our ridicule, that fear and ridicule would get outside of our house so that we can make room for Jesus to grab us by the hand and to say to us, to say to our hope, Talitha Kum, Talitha Kum, get up, hope. Wake up, you dead relationships. Stand up, you child of God. Talitha kum, death is not the diagnosis when Christ is in the room. Do we believe this, church? Do we, do we believe this, church? Do we believe that this is true for you? Can Jesus revive your life? Can Jesus revive your life? How about that dead hope? How about that 12 years of suffering kind of hope? How about that I can't take one more month of disappointment kind of hope? How about I've done everything I can and nothing seems to work, that dead kind of hope? Can Jesus revive your life? Jesus is the only one who can reframe your dead hope as to hope that is simply asleep. If dead describes your hope today, Talitha Kum. Dead, death is not the diagnosis when Christ is in the room. Talitha Kum to that dead relationship. Talitha Kum to that dead marriage. Talitha Kum to that dead sense of self. 
Talitha kum, church. Death is not our diagnosis when Christ is in the room. Is Jesus in our neighborhood? Is Jesus in our house? Then let's run to Jesus with our pain. What are we doing sitting on our hands with our pain? Why are we not running to him? Is Jesus in our neighborhood? Is Jesus in our house? Then let's walk with Jesus in our fear. Don't act like you're not afraid. Walk with Jesus in your fear. Let's be seen by Jesus in our desperation. Anyone else desperate? Man, it's not cool to be desperate in L.A., is it? No one wants to show that. Anyone else afraid? You do not face that desperation. You do not face that fear alone. Jesus walks with you in that. Let's be seen by Jesus in the midst of our desperation. And in the running, and in the walking, and in the seeing, may we allow the one who is hope to faith our fears and to to Letha Coombe our life. Let's pray.